Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. We're in part three of this uh, series, Stuff You Need to Know, kind of the uh, foundational truths about the Christian life. But Hebrews chapter 10, today's message is called Assembly Required. And it deals with the importance of us gathering together with other believers for worship. Now, faithful attendance for a Christian, I mean, that really ought to be a no-brainer, yet people still continue to make excuses for not coming to church. So what I've done in response to that, I have put together a, a top 10 list. You know, kind of like what Letterman used to do on late night. A top 10 list, the top 10 solutions for people who won't come to church. All right, number 10. We're going to go fast, so you follow along with me. Number 10, cots will be placed in the foyer for those who claim Sunday is my only day to sleep in. <laughs> Number 9, there will be a special section with lounge chairs for those who feel the pews are too hard. <laughs> Number 8, eye drops will be available for those with red eyes from staying up to watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Number 7, we will supply steel helmets for those who say, the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. <laughs> Number six, blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who think it's too hot. Number five, scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. <laughs> and there's a lot of us. I, I are one. Number four, Relatives and friends will be in attendance for those who can't go to church and cook dinner too. Yeah, two words for you, crock pot. Uh, number three, we'll distribute stamp out stewardship buttons for those who feel the church is always asking for your money. Number two, one section of the sanctuary will be equipped with trees, grass, and a lake for those who feel that they can worship God through nature. And the number one solution for people who won't come to church, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who've never seen the church without them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Pastor Eric will be appearing all week. Be sure to tip your waiters before you leave. Uh, seriously. We're going to dive into this, uh, this section of Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Before we do that, let me just give you a very succinct overview of Hebrews. Uh, the epistle of Hebrews, even though it's considered one of the general epistles, it's really more of a, of a sermon, an expository sermon that uh, sings the praises of Christ. And the point of that sermon in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the perfect high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice himself. One who made salvation possible once for all. It speaks of the superiority of Christ. He is superior to the prophets, to the angels, to earthly priests, uh, to the Mosaic law. Because through the new covenant, the new testament, he provides a superior covenant to the Mosaic law. In short, Jesus, who is our perfect sacrifice, is the superior prophet, 
priest and king. Okay, now let's, let's take our zoom lens and let, let's zoom in just a little bit tighter. Let's get to, to Hebrews chapter 10. What is Hebrews chapter 10 all about? Well, that's really the big idea this morning. And, and the, really the theme of Hebrews chapter 10 is this, that because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, then we have the boldness to draw near to God, the encouragement to good works, and the obligation to assemble ourselves together. Now, as we study this, I want you all to be able to to really view Hebrews 10.25 more in context. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up a little bit. We're going to start reading in verse 21. But Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. Writer of Hebrews says, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. And then we get to our sermon text, verse 25. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a husband and wife one Sunday morning, woke up. Uh, the wife immediately got dressed for church. It was almost time for the service to begin when she noticed that her husband had not even lifted a finger to get ready for church. And perplexed, she says, honey, why aren't you getting dressed for church? He said, because I don't want to go. She asked, well, do you have any good reasons? Yeah, I got three good reasons. First, the congregation is cold. Second, nobody there likes me. And third, I just don't want to go. And the wife replied, well, well honey, I, I've got three reasons that you should go. Because the congregation is warm. There are still some people there who like you. And third, you're the pastor, so get dressed. <laughs> I say that because I get it. I get how on Sunday mornings, man, the old flesh tells us, hey, just, just stay in bed. Just stay, you know, um, something about our flesh on Sunday mornings. We just get, we have a hard time getting motivated to go. And so really, you know, this message is just as much for me as it is for y'all too. And, and I know, I mean, from personal experience that sometimes the enemy is going to do stuff to try to prevent you from gathering together with other believers on Sunday mornings. You know, it might be some little something that he whispers in your ear that, that causes family strife. And I know Christy and I have, have argued over some of the most trivial stuff, but it always seems to happen on a Sunday morning for whatever reason. Um, but you see, the enemy, he doesn't want God to get the glory. He wants it all for himself. So he's going to do whatever he can to keep you away or to draw your attention to something else. I remember when, when Christy and I were m much younger, um, our our son Ryan, he's 27 now. He was probably about two or three at the time. We're trying to get ready for church. And I mean, he was just being a little, I don't know if this word is appropriate for, uh, for a Baptist church, but he was just being a little toot, you know? Just aggravated me at every turn. And, and finally, in the flesh, you know, I, I just blurted out, get thee behind me, Satan. And he, he looked at me with this sullen look like, and he says, I'm not Satan, I'm Ryan. So, 
the, the truth is, the truth I'm getting at is that we're not going to accomplish what God desires for us as a body of believers if we can't even be faithful to be in the building when it's time for church. So, four things that I want us to notice, uh, uh, things that we want to draw out of verse 25 this morning as we study the Word together today. And the first one is this. I call it the command announced. The command announced. Look at that first phrase. Not neglecting to gather together. Now, this comes in a couple of different forms. That command, first of all, comes as a dictate from Christ. Note that it's a direct command. It's not a suggestion. And that word neglecting, uh, the Greek word, it means to, uh, to separate connection, to abandon, to desert, to forsake. So really what this is, it's a warning against the abandonment of assembling ourselves together with others. You know, to put it more simply, you know that skip in church business? Yeah, don't do that. Don't separate yourselves from other believers. Go hang with my people. So it's a dictate from Christ. It's also a directive to Christians. Now, nowhere in the Scripture are, are sinners commanded to go to church. But Christians are. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. Because Christians are to give God first place above all other considerations. There's a good illustration of this. I actually shared this with the students a, a couple of months back on Wednesday nights. But back in the early 90s, there was a um, movie that came out featuring Billy Crystal and, and other, uh, other well-known names. It was called uh, City Slickers. And in this story, uh, Billy Crystal and his two buddies, uh, they're really trying to um, deal with this midlife crisis. And they think the way to do that is to go off to a dude ranch in New Mexico or someplace and herd cattle. So they go to this dude ranch, they, you know, they're being taught how to herd cattle, and they go out on the trail. Well, the trail boss is this guy named Curly. I mean, Curly is this leather-faced, scary-looking ranch hand, and they're scared to death that Man, if they go to sleep at night, uh, he's going to slit their throats. They're scared of him so much. But they get out on the trail, and uh, one of the cattle uh, runs off. And so Curly takes the Billy Crystal character. They go off chasing down this stray. And in the course of conversation, you know, Billy Crystal, he discovers, hey, Curly's actually a pretty normal guy. And they get talking about life. And, you know, Curly knows that these city slickers are there to try to regain some kind of lost youth. And he says, you, you city folk, you think you, all, you got it all figured out. You want to know what the secret of life is? And he holds up his finger. <laughs> and Billy Crystal's like, what, your finger? No, just one thing. Just one thing. And he goes to the rest of the movie trying to figure out what that one thing is. Well, that's something you and, and I as Christians need to to be able to determine what is the main thing. What is that thing that's most important to us? And if it's not God, well, then that's an idol that you worship, one that needs to be forsaken. If Christ truly is our number one priority, then why don't we just obey the Word of God and pattern our lives like Jesus? Jesus, who actually went to church faithfully, regularly, or I guess more to the point, he went to synagogue, his version of church, but he sets the example for us. So, so far in Hebrews 10.25, we've seen the command announced. 
Then number two, I want you to notice the concern addressed. Look at that next phrase. As some are in the habit of doing. This indicates that some of the Hebrew Christians had failed to assemble themselves together in the house of God. Were they, you know, wimpy, apathetic, milk-toast Christians? It, well, it sounds like it, but uh, there's some characteristics of a believer that, that need to come through clearly here. And the first one is that a believer should be affiliated, uh, more specifically affiliated with a Bible-believing church. And not just any church either. I mean, we're living in a day where a lot of people are being taught, hey, it doesn't matter where you attend church, just as long as you go. Well, you know what? That's not, that's not true. So, a believer must be affiliated. A believer must be aware. A believer must be aware of the type of church that he and she are supporting. And going along with that, a believer must be acclimated. They must be acclimated to what's important. I mean, what is being taught at that church? Is it truth? Is it doctrinally sound? Or is it just some feel-good sermon that you could have ripped out of the pages of Better Homes and Gardens? What is being taught there? And as a result, we look at ourselves. We say, what are we teaching our children? Because what you're teaching your family and your loved ones by your example of faithfulness or lack thereof sends a very loud message. And a believer should also not be apathetic, as is the manner of some, it says here in Hebrews 10.25. Some folks are just indifferent. They just have a, a don't care attitude. So they just kind of ignore God. Doesn't really matter to them what God says. You know, it's just a, a casual attitude toward God and toward the church that actually affects the people around them. It affects people one way or the other. I mean, Paul wrote in Romans 14, 7 that for none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. The choices we make affect the people around us. But some people don't get it. They just don't realize how important church is, how important us gathering together in his name is. There was a 747 jet that was flying across the Atlantic toward London. The captain gets on the speaker. He says, uh, attention passengers, we've lost one of our engines, but we can certainly reach London with the three we have left. Unfortunately, we'll arrive an hour late as a result. Okay, no worries. Maybe a little concerning, but nothing to really get worked up about, right? An hour later, he comes on the intercom again, makes another announcement. Uh, sorry, but we lost another engine. Uh, still, we can travel on two. I'm afraid we will now arrive two hours late. So they go on for a bit. Shortly thereafter, the passengers hear the captain's voice again. And as you can imagine, he says, uh, guess what, folks? We just lost our third engine. But please be assured that we can fly with only one. We will now arrive in London three hours late. Well, at this point, one of the passengers is just irate. He's furious. For Pete's sake, he shouted, if we lose another engine, we're going to be up here all night. Now, like the passenger on that 747 who didn't really realize the um, gravity of his situation, some of us don't realize how much we're shortchanging God. You know, shortchanging our own spiritual progress when we aren't here together. Uh, they're just not aware of how critical 
that is to your spiritual life, your spiritual growth. And some of these Hebrew believers didn't, didn't realize that, well, absence from church, it's kind of like losing your engines. So we've seen the command addressed. We've seen the concern, I'm sorry, the command announced, the concern addressed. Uh, also, number three, we see the church appreciated. The church appreciated. Look at the, the next phrase there. It says, but encouraging one another. Now, there's a couple more characteristics of a believer that we need to see here. First of all, a believer should be appreciative of other believers. Romans 14, 19, Paul says, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Uh, Romans 15, one chapter later, verses 1 and 2. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Also, a believer should be assisting. A believer should be assisting. I mean, do you understand what my job as a, as a pastor is? I mean, the number one priority is obviously to teach the Word of God. But my responsibility is really laid out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, when it says that, uh, that the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. We are to be equipping one another to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And it's kind of it's hard for me to build you up and for you in turn to build each other up if we're not actually here together. So we've seen that command announced, the concern addressed, the church appreciated. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. The conclusive accounting. The whole verse says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging encouraging each other and, and here's the phrase, all the more as you see the day approaching. That's an interesting statement there, the day. What is this day that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? Is this day uh, a day of, of coming persecution for the early church? I mean, they did certainly endure persecution. Was this day supposed to be a reference to some sort of coming judgment? Is it the day of Christ's return? Well, the Greek word there for date, it, it has a pretty wide semantic range. And according to the whatever context that word is placed, it could mean a natural day, meaning sunrise to sunset. It could mean a legal 24-hour day. Uh, it could mean a day that is appointed for a specific, special purpose. Or it could even mean an extended period of time. I believe in this particular context here in Hebrews 10, that, that Greek word, hemera, it, it means some event that was definitely anticipated and one which was so well understood that no further explanation was necessary for the readers of that day. So, it's a specific event and that's why a lot of your English translations will actually translate that word day uh, uh, with a capital D, the day. In fact, uh, I was just doing a quick search. Uh, took four or five minutes. I discovered seven different English translations that capitalize the word day. So it is a specific event. 
At least that's what the, the, the context and the tone suggest, that the day, capital D, refers to a well-known time of Christ's coming and judgment in the future. In fact, it's probably a throwback to the Old Testament concept of the day of the Lord. Uh, the day of the Lord. That phrase usually identifies events that take place at the end of human history. And it's, it's very uh, often associated in the Old Testament with the words, the day, or that day. So, some scholars actually believe that the day of the Lord is actually going to be a longer period of time than just a single day. A period of time when Christ is going to reign throughout the, uh, the world before He cleanses heaven and earth in preparation for the eternal state of humankind. Other scholars, they think that the day of the Lord will be in an instantaneous event when Christ returns to earth to redeem His faithful believers and to judge unbelievers. Well, given that the whole book of Hebrews is all about Christ and His superiority, I personally believe that the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing the return of Christ and the need to live in anticipation of His coming. But there is an element of judgment there, to be sure. Uh, you know, through the centuries, a lot of Christians have really kind of fretted. They've been discouraged because they believe Jesus should have returned already. And we've probably all had those thoughts at some point. But Jesus hadn't forgotten. You know, Jesus has not changed His plans. We Christians, we need to live as if the Lord will come back any moment and make sure that He does not find us lax in our preparation for His return, in our commitment to Him. So we see a couple more characteristics of the believer here. Uh, one is that the believer should be accountable. What have we done with this grace that God has extended to us? Now, whether we want to believe it or not, yes, the day of judgment is a reality. And there's really two types of judgment we read about in the Bible. The first one is a judgment for unbelievers. It's often referred to as the great white throne judgment. Uh, Hebrews 9.27, it says, It is appointed for people to die once, and after this, the judgment. Well, at this great white throne judgment, what's going to happen is that God is going to, to ratify, God is going to honor the decision of all the people in the world who have chosen to reject His offer of salvation through Christ. But as a result of honoring their decision, they're going to be dispatched to their final destination which the Bible tells us is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's the judgment for unbelievers. There is also a judgment for believers as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether for good or evil. Uh, Romans chapter 14, 10 through 12. Uh, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, those last two passages refer specifically to Christians. 
not to unbelievers. So this judgment seat of Christ believes giving, uh, it, it involves believers giving an account of their lives to Christ. Now, this does not determine your salvation in any way, shape, or form. Our salvation does not come through the good works that we do in our lives on earth. That only comes through faith in Christ alone. Now, we, we shouldn't look at the judgment seat of Christ purely as God judging our sins, though, but rather as God rewarding us for our lives. I mean, the Bible does say that, you know, we're going to have to give an account of ourselves, that's for sure. But it's likely that this part of answering for the sins we've committed, that's the judgment part, but that's not going to be the, the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers will be rewarded based on how faithfully they have served Christ. Well, you know what? One of the things that reflects that faithful service to Christ is our choosing to assemble together with one another. Because of that day, capital D, day, that is approaching, not only should a believer be accountable, but he or she should also be uh, attentive. A believer should be attentive. Why? Because we don't know when the day is coming. We do not know when that day is going to arrive. Uh, we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Jesus, in a passage called the Olivet Discourse in uh, Matthew chapter 24, he says, this is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There will be a conclusive accounting when we stand before Christ. Now, church, Assuming that you are already committed to faithful attendance, you're involved uh, in this local body of believers, you're serving the Lord, you're giving Him your all, you're making Him your number one, we do have to ask the question, why? Why do most people come to church? It's probably an oversimplification, but you could describe it with the acronym JOY. Jesus, others, and you, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. Our primary reason for being here is simply to worship the Lord. That's our ministry to Jesus. Now, there's a secondary reason. That's the equipping of the saints that we talked about from Ephesians 4. That's ministry to others. Have you ever received a Christmas gift that read assembly required on the label? And you open it up and there's all these parts and fasteners and, and tools needed to make the whole thing uh, work. And, you know, if you were not so lucky, the instructions were probably in Swedish or Chinese. But along with that, you, you had this list of all of the tools necessary to complete the assembly. But the tools had to be used properly. The instructions had to be done in the right order. Then you could finally enjoy whatever that, that particular gift was that you received. I remember back in uh, Christmas of 1990, uh, Christy and I had only been married uh, just a few months. My in-laws gave me a brand new gas grill for Christmas. And man, I was so eager to put that puppy together and place it out on our apartment balcony overlooking the foothills of the Sandia Mountains. Man, I was in griller's paradise. <laughs> only problem was, I worked for two and a half hours and could not get the blooming thing assembled. Only when my dad came for a visit to uh, Albuquerque was I able to get my beloved gas grill fully assembled. 
Well, you see, Hebrews 10.25, it's kind of saying the same thing about the church. There is some assembly required in the building of a church, and there's a list of tools that are necessary to complete the job. Well, guess what? You and I are those tools. Now, you probably don't like being referred to as a tool, but it has a whole different meaning here in this context. We are the tools. Now, if you've ever attempted to assemble something only to find that pieces are missing, then you can understand what it's like to build a church, a local body of Christ, when not everyone is here. There are missing pieces. And when we can't finish the assembly, our work doesn't get done. Our, our ministry is not completed. Not until all everyone's place has been filled. So there's Jesus. He's the primary reason we come here. It's for him, not for us. It's for others, ministry to others, equipping the saints. And then the third is, is you, Jesus, others, you. In other words, ministry to self. I want to be brutally honest. This should not be the main reason that you are coming to church on Sunday mornings. God's goodness is the reason you should be coming to church on Sunday mornings. But if we're doing number one and number two, we're worshiping Jesus, we're equipping others, well, a natural byproduct of that is number three. We get blessed. It's a wonderful experience. Now, for most consumer Christians, reason number three, you, self, that's the main reason they come. And it might be different things that attract them here. You know, it might be a, an amazing uh, children's ministry, which we have here. Uh, they may love the music ministry and the songs that we sing. And all those things are great. But... You see, the reason for being at church, it's really, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. It's about others. But for a consumer, it's all about self. Consumer Christians suffer from the illusion that church is all about them. And those types of churchgoers, I like to call eddies. See, Eddie was a guy that worked at a hardware store. There was a guy that went to the hardware store every Saturday morning to pick up uh, tools and parts and, and stuff that he needed at home. And he would encounter Eddie every single week. Eddie was there. They would chat it up real good. But the guy comes in one Saturday morning, and Eddie's not there. He's not anywhere to be found. I mean, Eddie had been a constant fixture. Where's Eddie? He goes to the manager. says, hey, uh, where's Eddie? Oh, you know, we had to let Eddie go. Oh, well, do you have any plans to fill the vacancy? Eddie didn't leave a vacancy. Eddies are strictly consumers. They're not contributors. So Eddies naturally gravitate towards reason number three. It's all about my experience. It's not about God's goodness. Well, guess what? God doesn't want Eddies. He wants Aldens. See, there was this guy named uh, Alden Strait. He was 73 years old, lived in Iowa, and he needed to see his ailing brother who lived on the opposite side of the state of Iowa. There was no one who could drive Alden to his brother's house, and he didn't feel capable of driving himself because uh, if he drove fast than 20 miles an hour, he really couldn't read the road signs. So Alden did the only thing that he knew to do to accomplish the task at hand. He rode his lawnmower 240 miles across the state of Iowa to be with his brother. Now that is commitment. 
Okay, so if you do attend regularly, ask yourself why. Are you an Eddie or are you an Alden? Are you committed to the worship of the Lord and the equipping of other believers for ministry? Are you just another consumer? Are you here for God or are you here for yourself? Because if it's for yourself, not only is your commitment to God half-hearted, but you're really shortchanging God, you're shortchanging the church, you're shortchanging yourself. Psalm 122.1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, Eric, you know, this is all fine and good. You know, how does this really apply to me? How do I put feet to my faith? How do I take what we've learned from Hebrews 10.25 and play it out in my life? Well, the first and most obvious thing, get up, get your clothes on, get yourself to church. And if you drink a lot of coffee to wake up, be sure and you, you bring breath mints with you. Um, yeah, get to church. Second, consider ways that God can use you to build up other believers. Consider ways that you can be serving the body of Christ so that you're a contributor, not a consumer. And here's a third one. Think about ways to bring new people. Now, while this command in Hebrews 10.25 is specifically for Christians, there's no reason why this shouldn't motivate us to bring other people with us. We want to grow the church. Obviously, we want it to grow in terms of spiritual growth, making disciples. One of the natural byproducts of that we, we see is the church grows numerically. But that all begins by by getting them here, you know? You want to know how to, to build your church with ease? Everyone ask someone every day. E-A-S-E. Everyone ask someone every day. That's how to build your church with ease. Ask someone. And granted, if you're asking a stranger, more than likely, you know, they're probably not going to come. Nine times out of ten, they'll probably say, well, no thanks. But if it's someone that you've taken the time to invest your life in, to get to know, to help them understand that you care about them, if you invite them, they're probably going to come. You need to remember that church is not just some empty ritual. It's not just some routine that we've adopted because, well, that's what you grew up doing. You know, it's not something uh, that you have always done, and so you're going to always continue to do it because that's how mom and dad raised you. It's more than that. You know, it's not something you do to gain nor notoriety in the community. It's something we do because God is worthy of our praise. And because that's a vehicle for God to use people, to equip each other to do the work of the ministry. So what about you? Maybe some of you are here today and you, you don't have a church home. You have a church that you're really committed to. If you're here today, maybe if you're watching online on the live stream this morning or watching by tape delay on television, do you have a church home that you can really commit to? You know, if not, and we will welcome you here at Beach Street First Baptist with open arms. We'd love to have you be a part of this body of believers that's alive and growing. 
But I think the more important question that I need to ask this morning is this. Have you trusted Christ for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life? You know, his arms are always open wide. Jesus said, I love you this much. This much means he loved you so much that he let Roman soldiers put nails through his hands and his feet. He let them hang his body on a cross where he would die an excruciating death. In fact, that word excruciating comes from a Latin term that means out of the cross. It was so excruciating that they had to invent a word to describe how awful it was. And he did that because he loved you and you and you and you and you and me. But you see, he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day to proclaim victory over sin and death. And that victory is extended to all of us, all of us who are in Christ, as Paul liked to say. Man, if you never made that decision, I'm telling you, Jesus came to offer you life, abundant life here on this earth, eternal life in heaven. And receiving that gift of salvation, it's pretty simple. It's pretty much A, B, C. A, all have sinned. B, believe in your heart. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God who died for you and rose again. And C, confess him as your Lord. Paul says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.